when a soldier goes to war, to whom do they owe their ultimate allegiance? To themselves, to their country, or to God? And what will happen to them if they die? Heaven, hell, or nothing? Well, we've just heard a reading from the Bible in which Jesus shows us the answers. Answers that also tell each one of us who we owe our lives to and what will happen to us when we die. Uh, Every year on Armistice Day and Remembrance Sunday, there's always stories on TV and in the news about the lives of the men and women who served our country during, uh, usually these days, they've got memories of the Second World War. Perhaps you've seen recently some interviews with some of the veterans. If you want to really understand someone, you need to hear a bit of their biography, don't you? Their life story. Well, for those of you who aren't usually here, um, over the last couple of months, we've been looking together as a church at a biography. The biography of Jesus uh, that was written by one of the first Christians, a man called Mark. And we're at a point uh, where Jesus is locked in a battle of words with the ruling council of Jerusalem, the Jewish capital city. You see, Jesus had arrived recently in Jerusalem as their king, but the authorities there wouldn't recognize him. They saw him as an upstart, not the true ruler of their country. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And phase one of their plan to achieve that was to publicly discredit him. They keep sending people to ask him trick questions. They want to try and make him say something that will get him in trouble. So many people get cancelled these days for saying something wrong or having the wrong beliefs. Well, the authorities want to get Jesus cancelled. So they try to make him say something unpopular. And the questions they ask today, on the surface, are about paying tax and getting married. Except really, they're all about who we owe our allegiance to and what happens when we die. If you want to follow along with the story in your Bibles, keep them open at page 1017, Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. Let me read verse 13 to us. Later they that's the authorities, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And their question is there, you can see in verse 15, it says, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They say, should we pay or shouldn't we? It's really a yes or no kind of a question. But either answer would get Jesus in trouble. Let me explain. Imagine you'd been alive during the Second World War. Imagine the Nazis won and they took over our country. That's the situation that Jerusalem was in in Jesus' day. It was under the control of a foreign military power, the Roman Empire. Now, if the Nazis had won and taken control, would you, would you have accepted them as your new government and paid taxes to the Fuhrer out of your hard-earned money? Or would you have kept your money, joined the resistance, and started plotting ways to fight back and throw them out of your country? 
See, in Jerusalem, some people accepted Roman rule and got comfortable with it. Some people hated it and wanted a rebellion. And the question the authorities ask Jesus is, should we pay tax to the Roman emperor or not? And if he says, yes, pay it, they're going to say to him, you're not patriotic. You're on the side of the enemy. If he says, don't pay it then, they're going to shout, oh, he's a rebel, lock him up. But Jesus isn't stupid. It says Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Then he said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Now, denarius was a Roman coin used for paying uh, the tax. And so someone gives one to him. And he asks them, what's on the coin? And, they say, and he says, uh, whose portrait, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, the emperor's. Now, we found hundreds of these coins. They look like this. And they've got a portrait of the emperor Tiberius on and the words Tiberius, Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And on the reverse, they have the title Pontifex Maximus, high priest. Now the Jews believe in only one God and they don't make images of him. And the only high priest they recognize is their own one. So everything about these coins was offensive to the Jews. And after looking at the coin, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And it says they were amazed at him because it's an amazing answer. Should they pay the emperor's tax? Well, the coin's got his name and his face on it and it's an offensive coin. So yes, give it back to him. But the real issue isn't really about what they owe to the Romans. The real issue is what they owe to God. Give the coin to Caesar because it's got his image on it, but more importantly, give to God what's got his image on it. And what's that? That's you and me. The first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, says every human being is made in God's image. Some of your money, or some of your parents' money, might belong to the government, but you yourselves, we belong to God. We belong to God. And what that means, first of all, is that we don't belong to the government. In countries ruled by atheist totalitarian regimes, the government thinks of itself as the highest power. And so they think they get to own you and control your life. But Jesus says, no, you belong to God, not the empire. But belonging to God doesn't mean you don't respect the authorities that he's temporarily put in place. It's right to pay the government tax. But more importantly, it's right to give our whole lives to God because they do belong to him. You realize that? I asked at the start, to whom do soldiers owe their ultimate allegiance? To themselves, to their country, or to God? Well, we all owe our countries something, 
but our ultimate allegiance must be to God. And if we don't give him what's his, if we don't give him our lives, what are we? We're rebels. Jesus is very clear. Everyone out there and everyone in this room owes their life to God. So are you a rebel? Or are you giving him your life? Well, we're going to move on now to the second trick question in this section of Mark's biography about Jesus. And this time, the authorities, they try to discredit Jesus' teaching ability by showing that his beliefs are stupid. And the belief they think is particularly stupid is the belief in life after death, and specifically resurrection. Resurrection refers to the day when God gives us back our physical bodies so that heaven won't just be souls floating around, but a real physical place with real physical bodies. And as far as they're concerned, the authorities, that's rubbish. When you die, you no longer exist. Their loved ones weren't up there somewhere looking down on them. They were gone forever. And to prove their point, they give Jesus a scenario. Imagine a woman whose husband dies before they have any children. In the Old Testament, his brother was encouraged to marry her, to produce children on his brother's behalf. Well, what if he dies without having children? And so she marries the next brother. And what if this happens six times until she's been married to seven brothers? See, if life after death was real, you'd end up with seven men all married to one woman. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Now, it's not a bad question. See, something similar actually happened in my family. Uh, my nan was married to a man called Lawrence, and he was a rear gunner in a Lancaster bomber during the Second World War. And on his final mission, his plane was shot down over Germany, and he died. My nan was about to give birth to his son. So she decided to marry her late husband's brother, and he raised the baby as his own, and also had two more sons. One of them was my dad. If my nan's first husband hadn't been killed in action, I'd never have been born. But if there's a resurrection, like both brothers would end up sharing one wife, which kind of seems weird. So the Sadducees, the authorities, they're, they're pretty sure it's a closed case. These sorts of situations are so ridiculous, surely life after death can't be real. To which Jesus responds, you're wrong, and it's because you don't know your Bible. Have a look with me at verse 24 over the page. Verse 24, Jesus says to them, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? That's a good point. If you don't know your Bible, then you don't know the truth. So many people today think they're Christians, but they never read their Bible. And the result is, I think our whole culture has drifted into a sort of half-remembered folk version of Christianity. A version with no real appeal, no real truth, 
no real power. What we need is full-blooded biblical teaching that gives us the truth. And that's what Jesus was all about. He says to them, firstly, that when the dead rise, when God gives us new physical bodies, it won't be so that we can get remarried to our past wives or husbands. There won't be marriage. It's going to be a whole new phase of existence beyond what we can even imagine. He says we'll be like the angels. And then secondly, he says, you know the Bible story of Moses and the burning bush? Well, how did God identify himself? He said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now those three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all died long before Moses was born. What would be the point of mentioning them if they were just dead and gone? No point. The reason God mentions them is because they're not gone, they're not dead forever. The promise God made to them and the promises God makes to us about the future would be pointless if death was the end. But God makes promises about the future because death is not the end. He plans, he has plans for us. He has a future for us, a future for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the ultimate proof of this was when the authorities did crucify Jesus and they killed him. But three days later, he walked out of his tomb alive in a new resurrected body. See, the authorities thought they could prove Jesus didn't know the Bible. Jesus finished by saying, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, you are badly mistaken. And there's loads of people today who, not necessarily through any fault of their own, are nevertheless badly mistaken. Some are like the Sadducees, these people questioning Jesus. They think death is just the end. There are others who believe in heaven as some sort of nice place that everyone goes forever. But Jesus taught us that there is heaven and resurrection and hell. So death is not the end. There is a future. But our individual experience of that future depends on, like that first question, whether we've given our lives to God or whether we continue to rebel. The good news of Christianity, the good news that Jesus brought and his followers preached, is that everyone who stops rebelling and turns to God will be forgiven. And God promises them heaven then physical bodily resurrection when Jesus returns and life in a new world. Like the soldiers who gave their lives in war so that we could be free, at his crucifixion, Jesus laid down his life for us to pay the price for all of our rebellion and sin against God so that we could be forgiven by him and set free. We're all naturally rebels, but he loved us and he died for us to save us. That means if you pray to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, he will forgive you and grant to you a place in God's family, eternal life, heaven when you die and resurrection when Jesus returns.
They were trying to trip Jesus up and trick him with questions. But what he's taught them in response has been so amazing. So let's all make sure today that we give to God what is God's and live in hope, looking forward to that day of resurrection and the amazing future that God has got planned for all of his family. And now let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this reminder to give our lives to God because we were made in his image. Thank you for reassuring us that there is life beyond death, a future for us in the resurrection. And so we look ahead to your return when you judge the earth. And we thank you that you are the one who died for us, who forgives our sins so that through faith in you, we can be raised up to enjoy the new world and eternal life. Please reassure us and please strengthen our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.